Greetings, rare ones, and welcome to the Rebirds Emerging Market Podcast. I'm your host, Joanne. I started Rebirds a few years ago because I wanted to learn the stories behind startups in emerging markets. This has since evolved into a multimedia brand with content covering the intersections of early stage entrepreneurship, emerging markets, and blockchain technology. The Rebirds Emerging Market Podcast is where I have conversations with startup founders, ecosystem builders, and investors from across emerging markets. We are now on season eight, exploring the Puerto Rico startup ecosystem. Hey, rare ones, welcome back to series eight as we continue to explore the Puerto Rico startup ecosystem. This is episode 177, and I'm a little bit sad because this is the second to last episode. After this, we only have one more episode and then we're finished. And um, I've really been enjoying these conversations, speaking to various entrepreneurs, ecosystem builders and the like investors from Puerto Rico. And I've learned so much and it's it's just been really great. And I hope that you guys have learned as much as I have. So I'm a little sad because it's almost over. But nonetheless, we're back today and we're speaking to Jahani Torres Rodriguez. And Jahani's story is really interesting. Um, you're going to learn a little bit about her background and then her going off to university and how she got into tech and the work that she's doing right now. Jahani is really passionate about education, technology, and entrepreneurship. She's founded um, startups, one being an education startup that we talked about a little bit. We got into a conversation around education and teaching and 21st century skills and entrepreneurship as a skill. It was actually a very varied conversation surrounding the things that she's passionate about. Uh, Jahani is also a university innovation fellow at Stanford University and a global shaper. And there's a lot that I believe you will learn from listening in to Jahani. And I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed recording it. So as usual, see you at the end. Bye for now, guys. Greetings, Jahani, and welcome to the Rare Birds podcast. Hello, Johan. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm honored. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you, honestly. So, Jahani, welcome. You're officially a rare one now. I'm sure you've heard that before if you listen to the podcast. (laughs) You are officially a rare one, and we're happy to have you in the family and to have you share with us today. So, before we jump into the series about Puerto Rico and learning more about you, just uh, give us your background story. Who is Jahani Torres Rodriguez? Yes. Um, So I think that the quickest way to know what drives me is to know that everything I do is related to either one of these three things, education, technology, or entrepreneurship. And I am am purpose-driven, so I combine these things like to create a better society. Um, If you want to know more the facts, I am from Lares. Lares is in the west rural part of Puerto Rico. Mm. And... I am a computer engineer. I was a first-generation college student. I went to the University of Puerto Rico, the Mayaguez campus that is also in the west part of Puerto Rico. And, you know, because I come from a very humble background, when I got there, I was amazed by all the opportunities and I tried everything. That's how I became a video game developer. Uh, researcher, mentor, and in the in the in that path, I also become um, an entrepreneur, and those things led me to where I am right now. That I am working for a wonderful nonprofit organization that invests and facilitates initiatives that boost the Puerto Rico's economy and the citizens' well-being by promoting science, technology, entrepreneurship, and innovation-based businesses. Wow, that's brilliant. And before we got on the call, we were talking a little bit about your background and I was just awed by all the things you've done. And I know uh, several times you've mentioned that you come from a disadvantaged background. Um, You said a rural part of Puerto Rico. So tell us a little bit about about growing up. Yeah, so um, 
since I was a little girl, um, I was very curious. And I, I like to dance. I like to make things. I like to learn new things. Um, I was very good in math. But since I didn't have like role models, it was difficult to me like to dream big. Um, so most of the things that I have done when I was a girl, I haven't, I couldn't imagine those things. And for you to have an idea of who I am, when I got to the university, I didn't know English. I haven't traveled out of Puerto Rico and never in my life. Um, in my home, we didn't have a car. Um, and in Puerto Rico, it's really important to have a car to move around. Yes, so, island life, man. If you don't have a car. <laughs> Exactly. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. 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 So I went through all of those things and I think I, I worked hard to get to the university, but I, it was like very confusing for me. I mm. didn't know. I didn't know the process. I didn't understand that. And trying to choose one career was really hard um, because I was interested in many things. And I was just like, I don't want to choose just one thing. So <laughs> I decided to go for computer engineering because it has like applications in everything from mm. music to biology. Um, so that was one of the things that got me to computer engineer. And once I was there, I confirmed that computer engineering can be, you know, it's like a transversal area that can be applied to many things. And I, I got, I got scholarships and things that helped me going, not only to enter to a college, but also finish the degree. Yeah. You know, you said you didn't have role models. I think you were just your own role model because, you know, like you just did everything on your own. And you said you didn't know English when you entered university. So you started studying English when you went to University of Puerto Rico, right? Is that when you started learning English? No, I I took classes before, but I didn't apply it. I didn't practice it. So Understood. I wasn't able to communicate or use it. Um, so when I got to the college, my one of my first classes, I had a professor that only knew um, English. Mm. And so you know what I did next semester? I enrolled another class with that professor like to force me to get out of my comfort zone and yeah. learn English. So that's yeah. how I have been trying, identifying my areas of opportunity and, you know, putting myself out to, to learn the things that I didn't know. Yeah, definitely. People need to know that you have a list of achievements and accomplishments. I mean, the list is so long. <laughs> We're going to get into it. And I think that um, I was telling you, it's, it's quite admirable because, um, you know, whether you come from a disadvantaged background or not, the ability, I think people who are able to recognize opportunities are very special people <laughs> because, you know, you, you can come from a middle-class background or, or a wealthy background and not be able to, to see that there's things in front of you that you can seize upon. So I think somehow along the way, you kind of be, became your own role model. And, and I think that's brilliant. So that's fantastic. But thank you for sharing that with us. So now you are very passionate. You said about education, technology, and entrepreneurship. Why entrepreneurship in particular? Yeah, so the thing is that when I started um, studying engineering, I was like, I'm really, I, I love this. I love, I love making things, but I started challenging where I was learning. I was like, why are not we talking about who is going to use this? or why are not we learning about how to make profit from this technology? Um, so I started questioning those things uh, and I ended up um, doing a minor in entrepreneurship. And there I got the opportunity of thinking about the people who is going to use this, how I can solve a real problem. It's not about getting in love with the technology, it's about getting in love with solving a problem. And I started there and I took classes and I was very amazed about learning about business models, customer behavior, um, marketing channels. And I realized that these two worlds are not like apart, they can be combined. Um, right. And also it's like, a, I, I have always seen like entrepreneurship as a platform um, to break communities and 
family cycles. Like, mm. for example, you can get an idea and make it an economic reality. Mm. Um, you can create your own like environment. For example, in, in terms of women in technology, um, sometimes companies don't have a friendly environment, flexible or just, um, you know, something that is equality inclusive and women that develop tech companies can create that environment for other women. So it's, mm -hmm. it's like, for me, it's like a way to make changes in the world. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, Fabian, Fabian Velez, yes. who I had on the podcast, and he said the same thing about, you know, recognizing early on that technology should be used to solve problems. And that's something he stressed a lot when we spoke about, you know, tech for solving problems and working with communities as opposed to just tech for tech's sake, yeah, definitely. So you were a university innovation fellows um, and you had mentioned to me that you believe that the entrepreneurial ecosystem is one that should be strengthened. Can you dive more deeply into how, how that fellows program works and how that's connected to entrepreneurship? Yes, so, you know, for a business to thrive, there should be like, different components in place, academia, policy, technology, infrastructure, entrepreneurs, investors, you know, all of those components. And sometimes when you think about the persons that are in the ecosystem, you categorize them in givers and receivers, the ones that provide help, the ones that receive it. And in some places, um, the mistake is to think that students are only receivers, that they only need help. But with my experience in the University of Puerto Rico at Mayagüez is that students can also be givers. They can also be decision makers. They can also influence change. And the University Innovation Program in 2015, professors um, encourage students to participate of that program. That is a program of the D school at the Stanford University and help students to be trained in design thinking and to create high impact projects in higher education. Um, so I was part of the first cohort of Puerto Ricans to be part of the program. And during this program, we created an assessment of the innovation entrepreneurship resources in the campus. And we were able to identify gaps that we could address with our skills and our experiences. And each one of us designed and implemented a project. Um, uh, in my case, I, I created the TechDAS conference that was mm. to teach more than 75 students about things like um, cybersecurity, technology entrepreneurship, artificial intelligence, video game development, because those topics at that time were not widely addressed in the classrooms. So I was trying to, to create that bridge between the industry and the academia. And many other students develop other amazing um, projects uh, such as student organizations, um, initiatives to innovate in the biosciences, um, to teach 3D printing, making skills. And mm. it's important to build an ecosystem in which students have the space to design, to implement, to be owners also of the process. Yeah, definitely. One of the things we see a lot now is um, universities uh, pushing entrepreneurial initiatives and startups and uh, and even investors and, and, you know, all the different aspects, as, as you know, already of the ecosystem, getting involved with students at the university level to support them to build businesses. So what you said about university students as givers is really important. I love how you broke it down into like givers and receivers. I've never thought of it in that way. Where did that come from? That was pretty cool. <laughs> I, like, I like how you categorize it. It's, it's very true. Yeah, and um, I have been thinking about that because, for example, you see professors and sometimes you think that the professors are only givers, but mm. there are professors that also want to build their businesses and they need help. So for to build a full ecosystem, you need to challenge those stereotypes and start thinking that they need also help. For example, people that have been in business for 20, 25 years, sometimes you think of them only when you need like a speaker or a mentor, but 
the environment changes. So they may also need help to continue that business for 10 more years. So it's about challenging the, the stereotype of one can do and what they need. Yeah, definitely. Did you find that when you were in university studying computer engineering as a female and whatnot, that you did you experience any challenges because of your gender? Was that something you faced? Um, yes. Um, when I, uh, to start in my degree, we are females. We are like less than twenty percent of the yeah. students, and to start representation you know representation matters and in the department there were like one or two only professors that were female so you start like thinking um you get like the imposter syndrome like mm. i should be here uh, mm. why do i look around and i don't see people like me and sometimes when you are the only woman in a classroom um you feel like the pressure about what questions can i make um because people are going to judge me uh, by the question i do or if i make a comment they are going to judge me by the comment and it's more like you feel more pressure yes for yes. sure yeah being the only one in in a in a certain environment can be uh, I describe it as exhausting, yes. <laughs> more yes. mentally exhausting, because I think uh, maybe the pressure comes from one's self because you're so like hyper aware that you're the only one. So like you said, you're always thinking, okay, is this going to be a dumb question? I'm, you know, I, like everybody's going to, like, you feel like you're representing your whole group, you know? Exactly. <laughs> definitely. That's exactly definitely. what happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you are big on obviously STEM and you've been involved with a lot of, of projects and research. And you believe that the entrepreneurial mindset, you know, the growth mindset should be incorporated into STEM careers. Why do you think that's important? Yeah, um, many people like question, why should we like incorporate entrepreneurship in, in these degrees? And I like to answer that question, right? Entrepreneurial skills and mindset are things that you can use. It doesn't depend if you are going to build up your, a business or work for another person. Like many recruiters of STEM, um, they say that they are looking for people with critical thinking, with communication skills, um, team players, and entrepreneurship can help to that too. It's not only um, about, about building a business, it's that you get 21st century skills that you need to work in, in, the, in the work environment that we have right now. And there's like a big difference in traditional engineering classes and entrepreneurship classes. For example, in engineering, most of the time you have like uh, this problem that was designed by the professor or by the book. You have these variable, variables that you put in an equation and most of the time you can only have one right question. When you look at entrepreneurship classes, for example, you go to the customer discovery class, you see that you have like 10 different clients and you have like 15 channels to get to those clients and there is no one right answer. All of them have advantages of disadvantages. Um, people that go through entrepreneurship education, they can deal more with things that are not certain. And so those things are skills that you can develop through entrepreneurship education in, during STEM careers. Yeah. And when you graduate with your degree in a STEM field and you decide to work for a big company, you take that mindset with you. And I think so it's it's you solve problems, but you solve them in a more in a more unique way because you can you can sort of blend your scientific, logical, technical background with the ability to to solve a problem within a business, a business context. Exactly. And some um, and also in engineering, sometimes we have problems like design this rocket that is going to the moon. And that's, that's important, but that's not related to the day to day of the student. So the student may not see like a direct application. Um, and when you go to entrepreneurship, you are doing things that can help you, your family, your community. And it's more easy for the student to go from the theory to the practice. So if we translate some of those things so in STEM careers we are going to have more STEM professionals that 
are adapted for the complex challenges that we are going to need to solve in this um, 21st century. Yeah, you know, I'm really curious though, do you find that a lot of um, individuals who study STEM fields are accepting of the entrepreneurial mindset? Like they, they understand it, why it's important and they're, they're happy to embrace it? Or do you feel like it's like, okay, I've got to have my engineer or my, sci my, my um, research or, or, or scientist hat on and then have to take it off and put on my entrepreneurial hat. I can't sort of converge. There's no convergence between the two. Um, I think there is something important about the language here. For example, if you say to STEM students, uh, specifically um, engineering students, for example, let's build a business, they may not come. But if you do an outreach and you say, let's design a solution for, a, for this problem, they may come. If you say, uh, for example, to science students, come here, let's do research and development, mm -hmm. um, you can attract them and you, it's more easy to make them feel that it's something related to what they are already doing. So that's something that I have discovered along the way is about how you mention and how you express what is entrepreneurial mindset or entrepreneurial skills. Yeah, you have to speak the, the currency of the people, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, that's something I learned um, uh, in in the past few years that it's it's all about how you communicate and deliver a message that helps you to connect with whomever, definitely. So now let's switch a little bit to um, the the sort of tech technology innovation side of of, of your work. Um, tell us a little bit about what you what you've done with the Science Technology and Research Trust Fund, the Puerto Rico Fund. The trust, yeah. Yes, yes. Yes, so um, as I mentioned, uh, this is a nonprofit organization. It has several programs and I'm working um, specifically with Colmena 66, that is an organization that helps any entrepreneur uh, in any stage of development to connect with the resources they need at the right time. Um, so within, within all that mission, <laughs> um, I work specifically with the innovation part and okay. specifically to help uh, small businesses to start R&D efforts and also to commercialize technology. Mm, interesting. So how, like how, what does that like look like on a day-to-day -day basis? How does that translate on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, so one of the things that is important is that when you are trying to promote innovation, you need to recognize that innovating can be risky and costly. Mm. Um, so one of the things that we do on a day-to-day um, is to identify opportunities or programs or funds that can help these small businesses to de-risk the process. So one of the things that I'm working on now is to create awareness about programs like the Small Business Innovation Research Program and the Small Business Technology Transfer Programs that are um, seed funds from federal agencies for small businesses so that mm -hmm. they can go to prove their concept, then to have a prototype, and then to commercialize. So there are like a lot of opportunities out there that many people do not know yet, right. but we are, we are doing like a massive effort to yeah. not only create awareness, but also help them to access those funds, for example, to writing proposals and things like that. Right, so there's a lot of outreach with, with what you do. Yes, and also in the process of learning how to assist these um, cases di directly, because each agency has different like rules, different uh, structures, and we recently launched a program to pay mm -hmm. for grant writers for small businesses to develop proposals for these programs. So we are also identifying gaps on language and writing proposals was a gap that we are addressing right now. Okay. Now, prior to, to this, you actually founded your, your own business. I think you founded a few, right? Like maybe two or three, according to my to my research. So 
um, have, would, would you say that you left entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship behind, uh, and for a while and you're focused on this and you're going to go back to it or are you a founder at heart? <laughs> oh, yeah. So I, I think I, I'm a founder in or out of <laughs> my mm. job because within my job, I have the opportunity also to create these initiatives from scratch to design right. them, implement them pivot, learn from that, um, recruit people to work on that. So even yeah. inside my job, I like I am like creating things. But before right. that, I created an educational technology startup to okay. help to help educators to create more dynamic hands-on classes that could help students to develop 21st century skills. Um, this is so EdvoTech? What, was this EdvoTech? Yes, that was mm -hmm. EdvoTech. Okay. And it, that was like an amazing experience for me. I got a lot of um, skills, lessons learned that I, I'm, I'm actually using right now at my job to help other people. Yeah. You know, where, where was the, um, so sort of, what was the impetus for that? Like, did you recognize when you were a student that, that there were some, some issues? Um, why, why did you believe it was important to, to help? Cause you're helping, um, teachers, it seems like with, or you were with this platform, right? It was focused on the, on the teachers, like developing their skills. Exactly. Right, educators? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, that, I always um, think that educators, for me, they have the the, the best profession because mm. they have the opportunity to impact hundreds of lives like mm. each year. And teachers were really helpful for me to get out of the the you know poverty cycles and things like that. Mm. I, I had teachers that helped me to go to um, math competitions to communications, different things. They were always rooting for me and, mm. and giving me opportunities. So I wanted to give back because it, it's really important what they can do. And, but they, have, they don't have usually the best professional development opportunities. And sometimes these professional opportunities are like very generic. They are not personalized. So with EdvoTech, what I was aiming to do was to personalize the professional development of educators based on their needs, based on their classes, based on, on the their technological skills and everything. Yeah. So yeah, they have the best professions, but they don't have the help they need. I see a lot of that because uh, like when I moved, I moved to China specifically to work in education and I actually teach entrepreneurship and, and innovation and that kind of stuff, but I teach it to secondary school students, to high school students. And I think that um, just generally, even my colleagues, they have no idea like what I do, why I do, why it's important. <laughs> yeah. but, um, you know, the whole idea of 21st century skills is there, but I don't think they see sort of intro to business or entrepreneurship as a uh, 21st century skill. I think a lot of them just see it as, oh, these are rich kids. So you're just teaching them how to be even richer. Like they're so far off, it's so far off. And <laughs> yeah, and I think that it's it's important. I think educators, I, I really, from as an observer, as someone who's not a career teacher, I mean, this is a short-term thing for me. I'm, I'm gonna be done with it actually next year, but like as an outsider, I can say there's so many things that I've, observed about education and teaching and I think a lot of teachers don't they don't they're not equipped with themselves the the 21st century skills and mindset to to really like promote the innovation and the creativity in any class whether it's science or technology or anything and I think um a lot of that comes from the fact that and I don't know you might tell me correct me if you think I'm wrong a lot of teachers have never worked outside of teaching you know what I mean? So yeah. like if you work, say, as an engineer for a few years, right? Like yourself, uh, you worked, let's say you worked as a computer engineer for several years. And then you're like, I want to take a break from this. I want to do something different. And then you go into the classroom and you teach. You're bringing the like the actual application of, of the knowledge from your work to the classroom combined with like the theory and everything else right that i think you bring something different but when you've been and no fault of, of a teacher's own when you when you when you were a teacher and you've trained as a teacher and then you've only been in the classroom sometimes there's a disconnect and you don't 
always understand that what's happening like in the work world, like in the everyday world. And I think a lot of teachers need training around that. What do you think about that generally for promoting yeah. innovation and creativity? Yeah. No, and the, and the thing is after interviewing hundreds of teachers, I discovered that they teach from, for example, eight to five, eight to three, and then their free time, they invest their free time, like um, checking the assignments and things like that, communicating with the students. So they don't have a lot of free time to also trying to be updated um, with the things that are happening out. So it's something that they don't have usually the best professional development opportunities. And also they don't have the free time or the money to invest in them in their selves. Yeah. So as a teacher, your time is spent marking work, remarking work, <laughs> marking more work. And yeah, in interacting with this and in meetings, there's a lot of bureaucracy in education. You spend a lot of time in meetings or you know, trying to meet whatever the standard is in that educational system, you know, meeting those targets. Because depending on where you are in the world, so much of your salary and, you know, benefits or anything else is geared towards meeting a target, right? So as long as you're meeting the target and you're so focused on the target or the grades that like, there, like you said, there isn't time for, any, for anything else. But um, I think uh, a startup like yours is really unique in that it's focusing on the educator. Because I meet a, a lot of people who've designed ed tech startups, but it's always on the student and the program for the learner. But there seems to be like a big gap when it comes to focusing on the educator. Yeah, and the one that is going to stay at that uh, educational institution is the, the, the teacher. It's going to be there like 15, 20, 25 years. So if you can help one teacher, you are going to help all the students that are going to pass through their classes um, for the coming years. Yeah, and going back to what you said earlier about um, you know, the, how you deliver to, to show the connect. Like I get, sometimes I get students in my class, right? Who they're gonna study chemical engineering or they're gonna study biotech or something very STEM related when they go to university. And then they take say like a, my basic intro to business class. And I always ask them, so why are you in this class? And they're like, uh, well, you know, my parents have a business and they thought it's important for me to be here. But they, <laughs> they like, they have no idea like how important like all the things that they're going to learn in the class is just for their daily life and they tell themselves oh business isn't for me or you know I think a lot of people have this view in their minds of what business is and but because I have outside experience I'm, I say to them but a business is everywhere you know <laughs> like my favorite exactly. thing to say to them is China is one big business and they're like huh I'm like yeah <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah so it's 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 having it's big it's having that knowledge and being able to communicate. You know, you can be you can go to university. I say to them, you can go to university, study chemical engineering, work for an engineering company, and then you realize there's a big problem your company isn't solving. You go off and become an entrepreneur and you start your own business and you solve that problem. And then they're like, oh, you know, so there's there's a lot that you that you can that you can do with if you if you have the mindset and if you've been trained and i think a, a lot of teachers don't don't get an opportunity to get that kind of that kind of training yeah and the thing is that you don't have to be a business teacher to yeah. help students develop interest on their entrepreneurial skills for example no, you if you are an english teacher you can switch like another report assignment for a pitch in business and if you're teaching math about calculations well integrate that with a market research absolutely what what percent of the population goes in this customer segment for for example or if you're teaching music you can teach your students how to make um, money in this space how artists uh, are business owners also so yeah. it's about thinking um, in a multidisciplinary way. Definitely, and having like cross, cross, you know, sort of collaboration amongst teachers. But education is siloed, you know? Science teachers stick with science teachers, math teachers stick with math teachers, and they have their own math jokes and their own science jokes, and the English teachers, and it's very siloed. So unless, I think, unless it's a school where the admin is pushing that interdisciplinary, interconnected 21st century approach, Unfortunately, you don't find it. That's the truth. Yeah. 
that is the truth <laughs> yeah and um, one thing that i want to to highlight is that at the university of puerto rico at maya west they have been really good integrating business administration with engineering arts and sciences agriculture so i think that they have a model that all in other places they can like replicate i a, a few years ago I, I participated in an entrepreneurship competition organized by the university on a farm wow. and i remember i i was there facilitating a workshop but i had the full experience i had mud up to my knees <laughs> mm. and all of those things um made me think that puerto rico is a place with a lot of potential for entrepreneurial development because th I, there are things happening that are like out of the box and other places can learn from what we are doing here tell us tell us what are you <laughs> doing that we can learn from because you are very passionate you said to me you know entrepreneurship can change lives and i agree like you i'm a convert you don't have to tell me you know but i want you to share with like the listeners because puerto rico is fascinating and i agree i think and that's one of the reasons i wanted to do this series there is a lot happening on that little island that the world can can learn from a lot <laughs> so yeah, yeah. share with us some of the things that that uh that are happening there yeah one of the things that i think that um are like uh characteristic of our ecosystem is that we have a lot of lifelong learners <laughs> like mm -hmm. Um, we have been through many things uh, economically and also um, natural disasters such as the hurricanes, the earthquakes. Now we are also dealing with a pandemic. And if you are doing a business or working technology, you need to, to be always a learner. Things change and you need to adapt. And in Puerto Rico, we have been able to, to you know, to come back after, after those things. And one of the things that I'm always thinking in other places, you don't need to wait for a crisis to pass mm. to start trying new things and pivoting and innovating. Um, but in Puerto Rico, there has been like a lot of situations that has that have pushed us <laughs> to yeah. like accelerate this process of innovating. Yeah. Definitely. And you guys have a lot of, when I was researching Puerto Rico, I mean, I'm still researching Puerto Rico. There's so much to learn. You guys have a lot of like competitions, startup competitions, a lot. Yes. A lot. Yes. Um, and actually, um, at Colmena 66, we have a network of resource partners that are people that provide support to entrepreneurs or people that are, are aspiring to be entrepreneurs. Yeah. And we have more than 240 organizations in our network, all of them mm. from Puerto Rico. Mm. Um, so Colmena 66 is like a really great place or is that place to start because we can connect you with all of those resources. <laughs> People think that because Puerto Rico is like uh, a small place, we don't have a lot of support organizations, but we do. We have more, we have hundreds of organizations that can help you or either start or grow a business from definitely, here. Definitely. Now you have, you are like, you know, you have ecosystem queen. You have a lot of experience with uh, ecosystem and developing it, understanding and so on. Why do you think it's important? You said it's important to document, measure, analyze and communicate what an ecosystem does. Now, bearing in mind that this is an emerging market community podcast where, you know, in, in emerging markets, entrepreneurial ecosystems are still nascent. You know, it's not Silicon Valley, <laughs> right? You know, it's not, it's not London. It's, it's not, uh, you know, in somewhere in Berlin or something. So how, how, like, how is that important? Why are those things important? How can that be done when you're coming from, you know, countries where, people still don't believe that entrepreneurship is a thing. Uh, you don't have a, a lot of sizable investors. You, you're still dealing with the mindset of go to school, get an education, get a good job. So how do you do all of that? Yeah, so I, I would like to start with what doesn't get measured. Mm. You cannot improve it. Mm. Or at least you cannot improve it with an, a strategy <laughs> intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have the numbers, you are going to know where are the gaps um, so you can invest your resources 
for example, um, here in Puerto Rico, even though we have a lot of resources, sometimes access to capital is a challenge. So if we don't have a lot of funds, we need to know where we can put those funds to create a better impact or long-term impact. So when you don't have like a lot of people that could, a lot of talent working on this, if you have the, the numbers, you can prioritize which thing you want to, you know, which, which thing you want to build next or, or improve. So for example, uh, we have a program, an initiative that is called Raise Your Business. Um, mm -hmm. And we activate that initiative every time there is like a crisis. We did that for the hurricane. We did that for the earthquakes. And we also did that for the pandemics. And it includes like a needs assessment survey of businesses around mm -hmm. the island so that we can know what are the emergencies they have, the needs that are a priority for them, so that we can provide personalized assistance and we can know um, in, in the midst of this crisis what needs to be done to act quickly, to have actionable insights. So I think it's really important for any ecosystem to have those numbers and to have that information, the insights, um, not only to tell what you are doing good at your ecosystem, like with that, those badges of success, I have done this and this, but also to be able to move quickly when sometimes happen. Yeah, is that costly though? Measure, like doing all of this work, is it is it costly? Does it involve having a lot of resources or can it just be simple things that you can do to document and analyze? There's there are there are simple things it, it gets complicated when you try to do this at an ecosystem level because mm. um each organization has their their numbers and their metrics uh, in different formats um they they prioritize different metrics so we are starting at culmena 66 to, to have that conversation with the resource partners and start sharing and collaborating more in this effort. So we are focusing on that right now. But in terms of your, your organization, um, you can measure, for example, um, the clients, the profile of the clients, not only the business, but also the people that is behind the business. Right. You can start um, tracking the interactions. You can start tracking the investments. You can um track how many employees they have how much money they are making so those things are important um for example when you are going to design a new project to to support a, a community or or you know the, the ecosystem in general right right okay now said that um in puerto rico many people there are lifelong learners lifelong learners how, is that because of like you said uh, all you know all the the events that that have happened in Puerto Rico whether it's uh, you know economic events um you know the hurricane etc cetera, etc cetera, is that because in Puerto Rico you are almost forced to reinvent yourself and constantly having to start over again and you know start and build from the ground up means that people are always learning and always having to 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 get involved with new things yeah um yeah we have to be adapting to to all of those things um technology moves fast business are impacted by other factors that are not in our control yeah. um, and i am not saying that i'm glad that these things happen but some people were able to pivot and innovate um and you know we we should do that intentionally we should like create a list of things that each one of us want to learn um that we are lacking i have i have that, those lists to make me go out, out of my comfort zone um so i think that's really good for an ecosystem um and as business support organizations also when you are supporting these um entrepreneurs also help them um to create this culture of being as a forever student to keep learning yes to participate actively in the ecosystem. There are like a lot of events happening. You can jump into those and start not only learning, but also networking and identifying who are the key players in the ecosystem. 
Yeah. Would you say that the opportunity, the, the ability rather to reinvent yourself and to continuously be learning is, would you say that's a 21st century skill? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Because when you look at education um, back then, it was, they were preparing you for doing manufacturing or jobs that you could do with your eyes closed and because they repeat themselves too much. But mm -hmm. the jobs that we have now and the challenges that we have now require requires you to, to grow. So I will consider lifelong learning and 21st century skills because yeah, definitely. you need to adapt to all the things that are happening now in this interconnected world. Yeah, and you need to be able, you know, like you do so well, seize an opportunity, identify an opportunity. And, and because things are always changing, like now with COVID, so many people have lost their jobs. And what are they going to do now? Well, you've got to pick up a new skill, you know, like oftentimes, I mean, even like with simple things, like within politics, you hear a lot of people, like if you talk about immigration, oh, these immigrants are going to come and take our jobs. No, they're not taking your jobs. They're, you just need to upskill now. There's more skills. There's more things for you to do. So I think so many of these conversations can be just completely eliminated if this if this mindset of being a lifelong learner is taught in schools right as a 21st century skill as because it affects every aspect of of modern society exactly and try to learn things before you need them that's something wow. that I, powerful that's, yeah that's something that i think that let me learn this new thing um Maybe now I'm not going to use it, but maybe I can combine it with another thing and keep, yeah. you know, building the layers. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's about skills, isn't it? Because if, if the skills are are what help you to be able to adapt the ability to actually do something. Exactly, and helps you to have another perspective. For example, when I started engineering, I was focused on the technology. Then I moved. Um, to entrepreneurship and I was thinking about the people that is going to use this. I moved to education and then I had the opportunity to, to learn more about how we can make this easier to learn from others. So it gives you the power of changing hats and, um, you know, making connections and connecting dots. Yeah, and I know you do you do work. Uh, I think you've, you've been doing other things as well, like upskilling in data science and AI and lots of different types of technology, too. Yeah, that's something that I'm doing right now, um, because I think that um, you are create we are creating like a lot of data, but we mm. need people that can translate those numbers into mm. information and that information into actionable next steps. Um, so that's what is driving me to move to, to this area. Awesome. So at the end of each podcast, I always ask my guests, what experiences have you learned thus far from your entrepreneurial journey that you would like to share with us? Mm -hmm. and wow, I know you've, I, you've learned a lot. I know you've learned a lot. You have so much to share, but maybe you can you can list more than one. It's uh, it's really up to you. Yes. Okay. So the first one is going to be um, to think about how you can help more innovation to happen. Um, how can we take um, technology that is being developed in the lab to mm. go to the market mm. and in that way create more high quality and high paying jobs. I mm -hmm. think that's something really important in that if specifically in the context of Puerto Rico, we have a lot of educated students that emigrate because many companies come here to recruit them. Um, but if we focus part of our time and effort in innovation, we are going to be able to have these companies that um, are going to do these amazing things in the island. And maybe we can either um, retain the talent or make more people come here because of those innovations. Mm, interesting, interesting. Anything else? Yeah, and the second one, do not forget about the power that students have. Um, mm. It's important to create the pipeline. It's mm. not only because these students are going to be the next either the ones that are going to build a business or they could support the businesses or they can work for a small business 
in your ecosystem. So mm. they are going to have a role directly or indirectly in your ecosystem. So make sure you're building that pipeline. Definitely. Very two important points. I'm just listening in and nodding my head like, yep, yep, yep. This is really powerful. Thank you so much, Johanny. And I love your um, what you what you have in your LinkedIn profile, that you're an engineer and an entrepreneur creating technology with purpose, a purpose-driven woman. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Johan. This it has been a wonderful conversation and I'm honored to be in this list of awesome speakers that you are interviewing to showcase what we are doing in Puerto Rico. Thank you. Thank you so much. Equally, equally um, happy to have you on. All of these conversations are, it's my, it's like my degree, you know, every time I talk to you guys, every time I talk to an, an entrepreneur, I learn something new and I get to share it with people who are interested. So I'm, I'm humbled that people are always happy to come on and share with me, give me some of their time. Thank you Thank so much you. again. And until next time, bye for now. Bye-bye. We've arrived at the end. I hope you enjoyed listening in to this week's podcast episode. If so, welcome to the family. You are officially a rare one. As a rare one, I need you to do three things. The first thing is visit the website regularly at www rarebirdshq.com to make sure that you're not missing out on any of the new fresh content that's being added on a regular basis. The second thing I need you to do once you're on the website page is scroll down, this is on the home page, to opt in to receive our weekly email. This weekly email is called the Monday News. This is sent out every Sunday evening, Beijing Standard Time, and it includes a complete recap of all the new content that's been added to the website, as well as the up-to-date podcast and everything that's happening on the platform. This way you don't miss anything. You get it all in one place, one email once a week. We don't spam and we send you really high quality content to ensure that you're staying up to date with everything that's happening in emerging markets around entrepreneurship and blockchain technology. The last thing that you need to do is if you enjoy listening into the Rare Birds Emerging Markets podcast, please rate it on your favorite podcast platform. This way we can continue to grow our family of rare ones around the globe. All right, folks, that's it for me. Continue to stay rare. And until next time, bye for now.